I have five jobs. I need to earn more money to send to my family back home. My parents are getting old. My dad has a stroke. My mom has a diabetic. I have two brothers. I sent both of them at the university and college. Beauty pageant for the LGBT community back in the Philippines is very huge, very popular. Maybe if I'm given a chance to be a star and make a living out of it, why not? <laughs> I am a proud small town queen. I can be a queen even if I'm living in a small town. I'm loud and proud. One of the biggest challenges is how to put my name in the big city, how I'm going to prove them that I have what it takes. A drag queen is kind of new to the Filipino community. Back in the Philippines, I am scared to embrace my sexuality. Francesca gave me this new chapter of my life that I never experienced before. The more you push me down, the more I climb up. But now I'm not scared when they ask me if I am gay. No, I'm not just gay, I'm a queen. Joining me on Moving Radio today is one of the directors that has their films featured as part of the Rainbow Visions Film Festival from November 3rd to the 6th. You can catch all those screenings in person at the Metro Cinema, the gem of art house cinemas in this city. That's for sure. The film we're talking about today is Francesca, Prairie Queen. It's a documentary directed by our guest today, Laura O'Grady. Laura, welcome to Moving Radio. Thank you so much for having us. We're very excited to have you. Uh, the film itself is going to be screening on Saturday, November 5th, specifically at 4.30 p.m. What's exciting about this is, Laura, go beyond the screen and connect with people. Yeah, the ladies are coming up for um, an evening event, um, hence the oh, 4.30 okay. screening. And uh, so they're a lot of fun, uh, beautiful queens. And uh, I know they hope to see a lot of people there. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. So... What was great is that, uh, I mean, this is a documentary, you're a Calgary-based filmmaker, and you won the Audience Choice Award for Best Alberta Feature at the 2022 Calgary International Film Festival. So congratulations on that. Um, for those of us that didn't get a chance to see it yet, because this is the first time it's screening here, I believe, at least in the last little while, can you give us the uh, audience a little bit more context for the life of Francesca Dynamites and how this film is a peek inside that life? Sure. I met Francesca, well, I saw her from afar in 2018 when I was at another pride event in Medicine Hat, the, the weather wasn't great. It was the beginning of the, the event. I was shooting something else. And here comes this Filipina queen on the stage, just giving it like there was like, there was not that many people there yet. And she just destroyed that stage. Like she, all of her energy, she was a hundred percent, 1000% percent of professional performer. And then at the end of her set, she started listing off her beauty titles and I wasn't uh, very well acquainted with the Filipino beauty pageant scene at all and uh, definitely not the queer Filipino pageant scene and so I was really curious and so I stalked her on social <laughs> was able to connect with her and convince her to do this documentary I was fortunate in the fact that she just shot saw a short of mine called Queer Hutterite uh, just previously and so she knew that I wasn't totally crazy. And then it took us a little while in development to find the right home for it. I was very grateful that TELUS Originals came on to fund the film. And then um, Alberta Media Fund 
also supported the story being told uh, through their grant process. So I'm very grateful for those two entities to allow us to tell Francesca's story. Francesca is a frontline, Francesca in her daytime job is named uh, Kiko French uh, Utrago, pardon me, Kiko Utrago, who is a frontline healthcare worker working in long time uh, term seniors care and but dreams of drag superstardom. And as we shot, the pandemic hit. And of course, that added a lot of complexity to Kiko's life and also our shooting schedule. Of course, we had to stop for a while to be very safe. And then a typhoon hit Kiko's home province. Um, so it just kind of compounded. And because the familiar ties are so strong, Kiko looked to his drags alter ego Francesca Dynamite to hopefully raise money for his family back home. It's an inspiring story. And, and it's really just a look at a very small part of, of Francesca Kiko's life as well. And what I loved about the film is that it really kind of speaks to the power of, of creativity for someone like Kiko when they evolve into Francesca, you know, even in the face of maybe isolation in a small community, uh, you know, even though uh, he has somebody there that he's living with, exploring drag and pageants. I mean, even that world in itself to try to explore that from your small town in Sterling is probably like incredibly difficult. And then juggling this kind of responsibility to the the transnational family members that they have. And this way you talk about this tragedy. It, it's kind of incredible and it's really quite harrowing. So the film checks so many boxes that probably anybody who's watching the audience could identify with. So I just kind of looked at it and I thought this must be incredibly hard because you fit it all into a pretty tidy package. How do you deal with looking at which element you really want to focus on and deal with? Because I feel like this could have been multiple hours and really, you know, not that you don't do it justice, but that it's just like, it must've been hard to figure out where to focus. So talk to me a little bit about where, what elements you had to feel like we really wanted to zone in on. Yeah, I think over the course of knowing Kiko slash Francesca, it, our focus changed. And I remember, you know, for all of the filmmakers that can, you know, identify with this, <laughs> Uh, either aspiring or people like me who are a bit long in the tooth and have been doing it for 20 plus years. I remember seeing our first cut um, and I have an amazing editor named George Bosch. He sent me the cut and I literally stood in my, in my, in my food uh, pantry and went and got, I went like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to focus this thing? Like it's just a sprawling mess. Um, so we're very proud of the fact that we brought it around and you do have to cut really cool stuff. Like we had, some really great scenes with Francesca's friend, Apple, um, who's a wonderful trans performer. But when the typhoon hit, there's just so many things that you can put into the film. And it was such an all-encompassing thing in Kiko's world to try to help his family. And so we were just along for that journey. So we did have to cut a fair bit of material. You, you know, I really felt like the typhoon and the family and also that push-pull of, of being a gay man and a family that doesn't really want to talk about it. Or they, they, they absolutely accept it, but they still want Kiko to have children in the traditional way. So, you know, that's a fascinating thing to explore with Kiko's consent. 
We're speaking today with Laura O'Grady. We're discussing the documentary film Francesca Perry Queen. You can catch it as part of the Rainbow Visions International Film Festival, November 3rd to 6th, but more specifically, that screening will be happening for Perry Queen on Saturday, November 5th at 4.30 p.m. Francesca will be in the house, so you want to make sure that you attend it because you're going to fall in love with her. You're going to fall in love with Kiko. You're going to go fall in love with everybody in this film. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Can you talk to us a little bit about somebody who kind of worked more about behind the scenes for you on this film? It's a relationship with uh, Rossman Valencia, who's the producer, but also a cultural consultant on the film and how this helped strengthen the film and help maybe amplify some of the voices of Philippine X LBGTQ2S plus community uh, that you feature in the film. Yeah, I was very fortunate in the fact that Rossman and I actually intersect in a couple of different ways. I'm a, there, there's a, a group down here in Calgary called the Calgary Gay History Project, and he volunteers for them. And I did a film, a couple of films with them in the past. The founder is named Kevin Allen. And so he connected us. And Kiko actually also knew Rossman. So it was kind of meant to be uh, because Rossman's a great advocate within the Filipino community and the Filipino gay community. So I was grateful that Rossman agreed to come on as a producer, a cultural consultant, sometimes translator, but really walked me through, you know, he couldn't come on every shoot, but I would call him and I would be like, well, what do you think of this? Or, you know, when Kiko discovered something about his grandmother's lineage and how there's actually Japanese bloodline within his history, you know, Rossman walked me through that and what it would mean for Kiko, what the family bonds mean, because I was raised in Sherrod Park (laughs) as a cis white woman. So my experience can only be from that, from that lens. So as much as I try to understand, Rossman was integral to developing the story for, for all of the team members to understand the themes and the consequences of the things that were, that we were doing in production and and post-production editing. You talked a little bit about, you know, finding your way into that community and and you've had to do this probably on several different projects. Uh, One of them, that you also did this year was called Undetectable, which uh, was exploring what has actually prevented us from living in a world without HIV and AIDS. So uh, an incredibly huge topic as well to deal with. You know, both films and some of the other work that you've done have required you to gain the trust of a community to tell the subject's stories. So how do you as a director approach that on each project? Does it end up being different? Do you find that, you know, there has to be a shorthand with them? Do you allow them a certain level of control? How do you work within that environment when you're dealing with really sensitive stories about people that are very personal? Yeah, I think every filmmaker deals with things differently. For me, keeping my word to them is the most important for me because, I, you know, we have to be like each other at the end of it, right? Like I want to. Um, and the kind of films I do tend to want to connect I tr- I want the audience to ca- connect on an emotional level to the subjects I want the audience to like them because I like them and so it's it's a very intimate relationship and so I talk through why we're doing these scenes what I think is important I you know this is how we're going to do it I will show you a rough cut they don't have control over the cut because this is a point of view of of me and and uh, my product and you know the team But, and I think people can be, you know, kind of go down a rabbit hole of wanting to control an image of themselves. But uh, I do allow them to see, I would say a fine cut, like close to being locked. And then they often give like very good notes. Like, (laughs) 
And then sometimes like the last round I did with Kiko gave fantastic notes. The doctors for undetectable caught something uh, that was erroneous in what we were saying in HIV AIDS uh, history. And so that allows us to make sure that everybody's on the same page, develop the best project that we can, that we all feel good about it when it launches. Because in the end of the day, it is their lives, it's not mine. And it's a huge responsibility to make sure that this film that's gonna live for years and years services what they wanna say. Do you feel like that's a balance that needs to be struck between you as kind of saying like, well, I'm going to tell these elements of the story and the people that are involved. Do you always have to be almost of two minds of thinking of them processing that and then also thinking about what is going to, you know, suit the film best uh, while you're kind of shooting and even in the editing? I often tell them like we're there, you know, it, Kiko has, and he might talk about it at the film. Like he has a history of, uh, of some things that we didn't include in the film and we tried <laughs> we tried to put it in it was just too many things on top of each other and if you put too much too many ingredients in a soup you can't taste anything so I told him why I didn't put it in and at that point he trusted that I made that I would made the right call and that because I've done this for a fair number of projects there I was very fortunate that he had a lot of trust in it and to date, for the most part, most subjects have always been that way. I, I you know, for Kevin Allen, for a short we did called um, Gross Indecency, I had to convince him to be in it. <laughs> and, you know, he was very happy at the end that he did because it did service the story that he was passionate about. So for me, it's a collaborative process. And um, I have developed great relationships over the years because of it. I hope that the films are strong by having the subjects have a distance from it and them understanding that this is the story I'm telling about them and that it is my interpretation of that rather than this is the whole and entire truth of who you are. What do you think maybe um, services you more in whether it's starting on a project or filming it? Is it just like the constant curiosity of where things will go? Um, and, and like wanting to learn more about these people or what, whatever subject you're tackling, or do you feel like it's kind of that slightly more analytical brain of the director of the storyteller? What services you more kind of like just the inspirational following moments or really being like, I see the structure that has to happen and I got to follow that. I think anybody who does documentary better be passionate about wanting to stick with it because although I've done you know, very well. I'm very grateful for the career that I've had so far. Like everyone is a slog. And like every time, like every project, you seem to get in a little bit in the weeds. And I think that's part of the process. Um, so for me, it always comes back to why did I get attracted to this story and to begin with? What did I see in Kiko slash Francesca on that very first day, that very first meeting? Why did I think that was a good story? And then that allows us to propel forward, kind of coming back to that nut of an idea for like undetectable. I was just super kind of like, well, this is university, so I can use the word, I, I, this is university radio station, so I'm pretty sure I can say the words pissed off about oh, yeah. how HIV is a treatable chronic condition that is a remarkable medical achievement. 
you know, I grew up in Edmonton when I was a kid and my mom lost a good friend named Tom in Edmonton to AIDS. And I just remember just being terrified. And the fact that it's still not publicly widely known that you can treat HIV, that it is not a terminal diagnosis, that you can live a long and healthy life. And that a big part of that development was Canadian. That is an amazing story. And so I was just, every time I worked on that project, I was just pissed off about people not knowing it. And that allowed me to keep going on the project when, when the times got tough. Well, you just talked about uh, some of the work that you've done before, right? Uh, undetectable specifically. I just found it online looking it up. Maybe if, if people are curious about some of your other work, um, let, let's let them know where they can find some of your other films, shorts or features otherwise uh, online. Sure. I'm very fortunate in the fact that um, TELUS, has, TELUS Originals have been great supporters of some of uh, my work and, my, and the team's work. So we produced Undetectable last year. On CBC Gem, I did a short called Eviction Notice that's doing pretty well online about an 80-plus-year-old gentleman who was evicted from his mobile home park by the city, which I'm still kind of angry about. Then we have some other stuff on TELUS Originals. Uh, Gross Indecency, which is a Calgary bus driver who led the way to decriminalizing homosexuality, his case, because of his sister fighting that case, um, which is a great Canadian Alberta story as well. Something else that usually comes up a lot is Queer Hutterite. Again, another LGBTQ story. I, I really like telling stories in communities that are underserved um, and allowing those individuals to tell their tell their stories. And that is uh, from the amazing photographer, Kelly Hofer, um, who documented growing up in a Hutterite colony and uh, his subsequent coming out and leaving the colony. Well, it's all fantastic work. I suggest to anybody in the audience that they check out those films. But if you want to go see something in person, go see Francesca Prairie Queen as part of Rainbow Visions Film Festival. It's going to be screening on Saturday, November 5th at 4.30 p.m. Uh, and Francesca, once again, will be in the house with some other people that were in the film as well. And uh, look, you may even want to see Francesca later on in the evening. Uh, Laura's <laughs> yeah. told me they have a show to uh, that night. They so, do have a show that uh, night, so she'll tell you a, all about it at the yeah. event. Yeah, I'm going to guess Evolution, but you never know. It could I think be it is at Evo Evolution, yeah. yeah it's downtown. Yeah. But, but she can confirm it when you show up to the <laughs> to the screen. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> and thank you so much for your interest. You know, this kind of, the university radio stations are, are so critical to bringing our communities together. Oh, well, you're very kind to say that, Laura. Uh, we're proud to do it. We're happy to do it. We're passionate about it. So thank you so much.